We're going to get into God's Word today. If you would open up your Bibles, if you're at home, to James 3. Uh, We're going to be reading our scripture today from James 3, uh, verses 1 to 12. Um, And receive the Word of God. This is the living God who speaks to you. Verse 1, James writes this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, uh, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by very small rudders wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We started James together because I wanted to get into a book that was deeply practical together because almost a year we've been in apocalyptic literature, which has been great to give us hope and a vision of God, but I wanted us to have something really practical. And today, James talks about something that's maybe more practical than anything else that we can imagine, and it's the use of our words. Uh, we speak 10,000 words a day, if you could believe it. Uh, we, we breathe 20,000 times a day, and we speak words 10,000 times a day. Every other breath is a word. And words, James tells us today, are incredibly powerful And we have to know that, and we have to remember that if we are to live in a godly way. If you remember, this is the section about how to live out the faith, and words are such a big part of that. Words can make or break someone. It can make or break you and even the people around you. Consider words like these. I wish we never got married. You are the worst on the team, and you're holding all of us back. Why are you not married yet? What is wrong with you? You are a disappointment to this family. You know, those are just words. But those kinds of words can stay with someone and affect the rest of their lives. But so can words like these. I don't know if I tell you enough, but I really appreciate everything you do for this family. I never told you this, but I really, really look up to you. In you, I see great potential. In the words, I love you, and I'll never stop loving you. You know, these are words that can make or break someone. 
And you've spoken words probably that you totally forgot that you said to someone and they are still playing those words on repeat in their mind. And what James is saying is that words are incredibly powerful, but the issue is we don't respect our words. And today, he wants us to live out our faith in such a way that our words are respected and honored and are used to build up people and not destroy them. And so today, he's going to say three things to us. Number one, words are to be respected. Secondly, words are to be controlled. And lastly, words are to be sown, S-O-W-N, sown like thrown, okay? Words are to be respected, controlled, and sown. And if we do that, we can actually live out our faith that not only changes our lives, but the lives of those people who are around us. Let's pray together quickly before we get into the word. Father, now as we consider your word and our words, I pray you would change our hearts and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing that James tells us is that we have to respect our words because even though our tongues are really small, they produce grave consequences for both us and the people who are around us. He uses this image of a fire, how a spark can set a huge forest ablaze. In verse 5 to 7, he says this, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a great uh, by such a small fire. He's talking to us about the power of our words and how we are to respect our words. I get the feeling that he's kind of like a father teaching a son how to use power tools. And he says to his son, son, these power tools are used to build great things for your family, to help your family, and you could do great things with this power tool, and yet at the same time, it could send you to the hospital. This can deeply hurt you, and you have to respect what words do. You see, he says this to us because we don't recognize the power of our words, and we don't respect our words, and because of that, we hurt us and other people in a couple of different ways. Number one, because we don't respect our words and the power that our words hold, we can really hurt other people. Read verse 9 with me again. He really brings this out in verse 9. He says, with it, he's talking about our tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He says, you can destroy people with your tongue. You can curse them with your tongue. And that's so true. You can destroy someone and their reputation far more easily with your words than you can with a sword. And one of the reasons for that is because he says here, we are made in the image of God, the likeness of God, and that makes us vulnerable to words. You see, the way that he made us is so that we absorb words. You guys remember Sham Wow? Does anyone remember that? It was an infomercial, 2007. This guy, Israeli guy, he comes in the summer of 2007 and he introduces this thing called Sham Wow. And he makes these infomercials about Sham Wow. And the discovery was that he discovered a fabric that was 10 to 20 times more absorbent than regular cloth. And so, you know, he would spill something and he would show just how absorbent this is, and that was called sham wow. It was incredibly absorbent material. We are made in the image of God, and that means that God has made us to absorb words from a speaking God to a God who gives us words and also from one another who speak truth into one another's lives. 
We are sham wow human beings because we absorb words. And because we're made like that, James says, don't you understand how powerful your words can be? The way that we are made in the image of God is we are created to absorb words. And not only that, groups of people, communities of faith absorb words. That's why gossip is so incredibly destructive. Because you're talking about 20, 50, 100 people who are made to absorb words. Do you want to gossip in a situation like that? We are made in the image of God. And our words have incredible power. Secondly, not only do we destroy others with our words, but we can make our lives ruinous through our words. When we don't have control of our words, and we don't lead our words, but our words lead us, and our words are controlling us, and not us controlling our words, it's like a wild horse that's on the loose, or a wild ship that is on the loose, according to James. It's the rudder, it's the bit that should control the horse, but what if the horse is out of control? It ruins our lives. Because our words wander. And whenever words wander, it's always bad. You know, when you look at the idea of wandering in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's an interesting thing because wandering in the Bible is never a good thing. Of course, most famously, the people of God wander in the wilderness, and that means that they're in a bad place. They have no anchor, no direction. They're wandering in the desert. It's not a good thing. But even more descriptive, I think, is Satan, who's described as a wandering being. If you remember Job 1, Job is the oldest book in the Old Testament, in the whole Bible. And if you remember, Satan comes to God, and God, the first thing that he says to Satan is what? Where have you come from? And what does Satan say? He says, I have come from wandering the earth. I have come from roaming around the earth, wandering the earth, going back and forth on it. Satan is described as a wandering being, no anchor, no truth, no real direction, but wandering around. And in 1 Peter, Peter says he's still like that. Be careful, Christians, because Satan is roaming around, wandering around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. Whenever you see wandering in the Bible, you see it as something that is not a good thing because it's unanchored, it doesn't have direction, it doesn't have a purpose, but it's wandering around and that's very dangerous when it comes to our words. If you have a wandering tongue, then that means that you have a tongue that's leading you and you're not really leading your words. And that can be incredibly destructive in the lives of Christians. Um, and in the life of, that, life of that Christian as well. Let me just point out one type of wandering tongue. One type of wandering tongue is what Paul calls in Ephesians crude joking. Crude joking. A kind of joking where you're just looking for a laugh. It doesn't matter what you say, but you're just looking for a laugh. A wandering tongue. Ephesians 5.4 says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You know, why does he single out jokes? 
Isn't that strange? Why he singles out jokes, and he says that crude joking is out of place. You see, Paul is living in a time where humor is considered a form of art. And when we joke, sometimes we who are made in the image of God, we can suspend our identity to get a laugh. You see, sometimes we think that a joke is a license to be crude, that we're excused from our identity as a holy people of God because that joke is justified by the laugh. It's a wandering tongue, just looking for a laugh, totally unanchored from the image and identity of God. Why? So that you could get a laugh because that laugh justifies your joke. That whole section in Ephesians 5 starts off by what? He says, be imitators of God. And so when in verse uh, 4 he says that this is out of place, he's not saying that it's not uh, pure, he's not saying that it's not um, kosher, but he's saying it's out of place with your identity in God. Do you want to trade in your identity in God for a second for a laugh? says it's out of place. A wandering tongue, it betrays who you are. Uh, James tells us that um, words are incredibly powerful. You have to respect the power of your words. An argument could ruin a friendship, and a conversation gone wrong can stain a marriage. And you could get fired these days for one word gone wrong. Parents, don't you have words that your parents said to you once, when you were young, and those words are still encircling your heart, your words make a difference. And I want to especially call out the leaders of our church because James calls out the leaders of our church. At the very beginning of this section, verse 1, what does he say? I don't think that many of you should be teachers. Not many of you should be leaders of the church because you will be judged more harshly for your words the non-leaders. It's almost as if in heaven you go to heaven and there are two lines. And you ask, what are these two lines? And the person in line says, well, that one is for leaders and this one is for non-leaders. And you say, what's the difference? And they say, oh, it's harder in that line. It's much harder in that line because you will be judged with greater strictness for your words. Your words carry more weight if you're a leader in our church. I want to ask you, please respect your words. And if you are unable to, James says, maybe you shouldn't be a leader. Not many of you should be leaders because many of you cannot control your tongue. And you don't respect your words. So maybe not all of you should be teachers. Not all of you should be leaders but those of you who have a rein on your tongue. He says you have to respect your words. They're incredibly powerful, and they have to be controlled, which is the second point, that our words, not only should we respect them, but we have to figure out a way to control them. We have to put a rein on them. James, in this passage, the whole thrust of this passage is we have to learn how to tame our tongues, tame our tongues, the way that we tame horses, the way that we tame beasts, the way that we tame wild animals. We have to learn, if we're Christians, how to tame our tongue. And yet, the first thing he says about that is, you can't do it. (laughs) 
This is verse 7 and 8. This is the um, kind of surprise of the whole text because he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Isn't that strange? (laughs) The whole point of this passage is tame your tongue. And then he says, nobody can do it. (laughs) He hasn't gone crazy, but he's making a point. You see, the idea of taming is you tame something that is below you. You see, he's saying the human beings can tame reptiles, can tame horses, can tame wild beasts because they are created underneath the authority of man. We tame that which is below us, which is why, he says, man cannot tame himself. He can't tame his own tongue. You don't tame horizontally. You tame down. No human can tame the tongue. That's his point. He's not saying that it's hopeless, that you're never going to be able to fix your heart and your mouth, but he says that no human can do it. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the key to this whole thing. Is the key to this whole thing. How many of you try to tame your tongue over all these years? How many in your marriages, those of you who are married, how many fights have you had about tone? About you have to change your tone. You have to use a different tone. You, you, when, you, when you speak to me, it's a very unloving tone, disrespectful tone. How many fights have you had about tone? And you tried to change your tone with your spouse, haven't you? And it only goes so long until it changes back to that mean-spirited tone. He says, no human can do it. Nobody can do it. You can try all you want, but you can't change, you can't tame your tongue. And here's the reason for that. The reason for that is you can only tame down. No man can tame his tongue, but his tongue must be tamed by God. The reason for that is this. When you look at what Jesus says about words, about the words that we speak, he says what? He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you have a word problem, it's not really that you have a word problem, but you have a heart problem. Because it's out of the abundance of the heart, the release valve in the heart lets go, and it comes out of your mouth in words. And so the bad news is, is if you have a word problem, you have a worse problem than you think. You don't just have a word problem, you have a heart problem. Because your words, your tone is coming out of your heart. And then it starts to make sense why James says, nobody could tame the tongue. Because it's actually just a release valve for your heart And so who can tame the heart? Who can change the heart? Only the Lord is able to change your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He's the only one that can actually change hearts. Can a leopard change his spots? Can an Ethiopian change his skin? Well, that's why you can't change your words. That's why you can't stop speaking with the tone that you speak to your family members. Because you can't change the heart, where your words come from. You have to have, if you want a word change, you have to have a heart change. If you want to control your tongue, 
You have to have an effect on your heart because that's where everything is coming from. Now it makes sense why James says, you have to tame your tongue, but no human can do it because you have to have your heart changed. That's where all your words, brothers and sisters, are coming from. Isn't this so frustrating? You can't change your words. You can't tame your tongue or your tone. The reason is because it has to come from above. You can't tame yourself. You have to be tamed by God from above. From above, that's the only way hearts can change. And that's why in verse 17 and 18 of our passage, he talks about that which comes from above. Read verse 17 and 18 with me in James. He says this, But the wisdom from above, that's how we're tamed. That's where taming comes from. We tame down. But the wisdom from above is this. It's first pure, and then it's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen to those words. Aren't those the kind of words that you want to speak to your family members, to your brothers and sisters of Mosaic, of your neighbors? Aren't these the kind of words that you want coming out of your mouth? Read the description. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, sincere, genuine. Aren't those the kind of words that you want? Well, you can't tape words onto your life. You have to have that come from God to your heart and tame your heart in this way so that the words that come out of your heart are like this. You have to have your heart tamed by God in an encounter with him. There's so many different ways that I could illustrate this, but can I just tell you about how it happened to me uh, this week? Starting in 2014, I started to have bouts of sadness um, for stretches of time, and sometimes sadness mixed with anger, and sometimes it would last a couple days, sometimes it would last a week, and sometimes even more. I've talked to counselors about it, I've met with um, mentors about it, Um, it comes back every once in a while, Um, just kind of goes for these spurts of time, and then it kind of disappears. Whenever it happens, I try to shake the feeling and I try to change my own heart. You know, like this week, I kind of felt that. This week, I encountered that again, uh, three days, uh, starting Sunday night to about Tuesday. Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, um, I, I again had this bout of sadness where when I was with people, I felt fine. But then as soon as I was alone, I felt deeply sad and a little bit angry, too. Um, If you ask me why... I don't really know. I can't really explain it. It's just come and gone for um, the past about seven years. Um, And this week it happened again. And you know, I'll try to snap myself out of it and I'll try to go outside with the kids and I'll try to exercise and pray. Um, But you know, it's hard to shake. And in those seasons, when I feel that way, my words are not very loving. The words that come out are sometimes biting, Um, they're sometimes very discouraging, or I will give resentful silence to people who are around me. And I get irritated, 
uh, by people, and then my words become sharp. I feel upset, and I cut people down, and I feel insecure and sad, and so I, I discourage people. And it's all coming from my heart, because my heart is sad, and my heart is angry, and it's coming from my heart. Uh, this week, I felt it again for three days. But Wednesday morning, um, it was a turning point for me, and it was a great provision of God. I woke up this Wednesday morning with a refrain on my heart of a song, and it was really strange because we didn't sing it on Sunday, I didn't hear it recently, but for some reason I woke up Wednesday morning with this refrain on my heart, and I didn't even know the name of the song, but this was the refrain that was on my heart. So I will rise and lift my head, for by his mercy my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. It's because of Jesus my heart is clean. That refrain was on my heart when I woke up Wednesday, and I had to Google it because I didn't even know the name of the song, but it was on my heart when I woke up, and I found out that that song, the name is Clean. It's a song called Clean. It's a worship song, and I must have heard it sometime before, but it was on my heart as I woke up, and that morning, Wednesday morning, I must have watched the YouTube video 20 times as I cried like a little baby in my office. Something about that song presented the truth of the gospel to me in a way that had me encounter the truth and love of Jesus in a fresh way, and it was hitting my heart. Can I read you some of the lyrics to this song? It goes like this, precious blood has left me forgiven, pure like the whitest of snow, powerful to make sin and shame retreat. His covenant is making me whole. Purify my heart in your presence. Teach me to discover the joy of holiness that forms as you draw me close. In you, what was lost is restored. So I will rise and lift my head for by his mercy my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. This song, it, it affected me in a way that it was very surprising because I still don't know why I get sad. I still don't know why I have those bouts of, I guess you might call it depression, or you might, I don't know why, but something about this song restored my heart. And I felt myself being tamed. You see, because I couldn't tame myself. I didn't even understand my heart. I couldn't tame it because I didn't even know why I was sad. I still don't actually know why. But I felt someone who could tame me even though I couldn't tame me. Even though I didn't even understand my heart, I felt him tame my heart. What is lost is restored. I will rise and lift my head, for by his mercy my life was spared. He healed me, and I felt it come from above in a way that I couldn't help myself. And I felt my words change towards my family and towards the people who are around me. I felt mercy in my heart for the people who irritated me, I felt joy when I was offended. I felt secure enough to make other people feel loved. 
No, he lifted my head, and the gospel changed my heart by what he presented in that song. And as my heart changed, my words changed. My brothers and sisters, that's what James is calling us towards. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you towards, a heart change in an encounter with Jesus and the gospel. That's the only way your words are going to change. Because you know what? If you try to aim at changing your words, you will become sanitized and boring and flat and politically correct because all you're trying to do is not say ugly things. But you won't give life. You won't encourage people. You won't genuinely love people. You won't genuinely bring somebody's spirit up because it's not in your heart. You're just trying not to make a mistake with your words. That's not what Jesus is calling you to. He's not calling you leaders. He's not calling you leaders to be this politically correct, sanitized with your words. That doesn't help anyone. That doesn't invigorate anyone in the church. That doesn't lead anyone to love Jesus anymore. It just protects you. But it doesn't give other people life. What does he want? He wants to change your heart by the gospel in an encounter with Jesus Christ, and then you know what happens? You begin to sow words of life to those people who need it around you. Read James 3.18. This is what he says in 3.18. He says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace to those who make peace. When you're changed by God above, your words sow into the community and give life to people. You're not just protecting you with sanitized words, but when your heart is changed, you're able to sow seeds of life into people who are around you. And you can now genuinely encourage people and lift people up around you. It's not trite Christianese anymore. We, can all, we all have a spider sense for that, don't we? When it's just like trite Christianese and you're just kind of getting that sanitized version of good words, it's not that. It's somebody who's been genuinely touched by the gospel, who is looking into your eyes and giving you real words of encouragement that the Holy Spirit is giving to them in that moment for that situation, for what your heart needs. That's what happens when your heart is changed. And the Holy Spirit is able to lead you my brothers and sisters, so words of life in our community. If you don't respect your words, you will destroy yourself and other people. But if you are controlled by the gospel, changing your heart, you'll actually be able to not just not hurt people, but you'll be able to bring life to those who are around you. And that is your application, the imperative the command of this and the thrust of this passage, sow words of righteousness to those who are around you. Stop being scared to give encouragement, and especially to our new members, the 13 new members of Mosaic. I want to encourage you, build up this community by having your heart changed and sowing words of righteousness to those who need it. Don't just sanitize your words because you want people to like you at this church. But have your heart changed and start to build those who are around you and you can actually keep the vows that you took today.
You know, everybody in our community is a sham wow Christian. We're word absorbent, and your words are powerful. Respect your words, but have your heart changed and sow righteousness in the community where God has put you. Let's pray together. Let's close. Um, an encounter with Jesus, an encounter with his gospel, an encounter with the love that changes your heart, that's the only way to change your words and your tone. It's been hard, isn't it, to just try to change your tone and to change your habits. You can stop now. You can stop doing that. You can stop trying to tack on good words to bad hearts. Just go for the heart and have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ who takes hearts of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh. And out of that heart of flesh, sow seeds of righteousness. Let's go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ask him to affect our hearts and to change us from the inside out. Let's all go to Jesus in prayer. us to encounter this lifting of our head. I will rise and lift my head, for by his mercy my life was spared. No other name can set me free. No other name can change my heart. No other name can make the poison that's coming out of my heart change into streams of life. The curses turn into worship. By no other name can that happen. But by Jesus, my heart is clean. Father, give us an encounter with the gospel. Change our hearts, not our words. Change our hearts first so that out of it comes streams of righteousness so that we could build this community and to love others and to praise you with real hearts full of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all rise and respond uh, with this worship to God.